Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, and thank you to all my listeners who are listening today to Never Ever Give Up Hope. I am so happy that our show is now heard in over 120 countries, and our audience is growing every week. And that indicates to me how many people from all over the world are looking for a message of hope, who are looking for a story that will help them to get through what they are going through. And every single one of my guests has had one of those messages. And I so appreciate that they have shared that message with my listening audience. It doesn't matter where we live who we are, what our educational level is, or our financial position, we all have times in our lives when we feel hopeless. And that's what this show is about, to give people hope when there doesn't seem to be any. With me today, I have a really special guest. All my guests are special, but this particular woman stands out because this is now the second time that she has been on Never Ever Give Up Hope. She was one of the first gals that I ever interviewed, and I remember when I interviewed her, I sat there with tears running down my face, but also in my heart, I was rejoicing, because she is somebody who has suffered so much at the hands of others, her parents, and yet has come across with an attitude of love and forgiveness, and you will hear that in her voice, you will hear that in her story, and I applaud her, and I am so thankful that I can call her friend. She also is an author of several books, three series, in fact, which she's going to share with us today. Cece James. She is an author of the Ghost No More series. What are the names of the other two series, Cece? Uh, Wrecked in Yours. And then I have my um, Angel Lake Cozy Mystery series. Okay. And we'll talk about those individually. Her Ghost No More series is where I first met her. And it's the memoir of her story about surviving child abuse. And we'll touch on that a little bit today, of course, too. She's also an advocate for adult survivors of child abuse. And the purpose for writing this series is to encourage those who may have endured it and to how to get through and to give uh, coping skills. And so I sincerely appreciate her message. And her books deal with all of these issues honestly. It's raw and it's good, and it's encouraging, and it's inspiring. So, Cece, welcome again. 
Thank you so much. That was really, really sweet. <laughs> well, it I can't say enough. Like words just really can't say what I'm really feeling. And I guess I'll have to write it. <laughs> it seems easier sometimes, isn't it, Cece, to, to uh, express yourself more in writing than it is in speaking. It's true. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your childhood. For those who have not heard your story or, or who do not know you, whatever you would like to share. It, when I was born, I was unwanted. And it's funny how those names and those feelings really just ingrain into you. My mom, I don't know if she had postpartum depression or what happened with her, but she was unable to take care of me. She thought that I was manipulating her with crying, and she was very proud to tell me that uh, she would leave me in the bedroom to cry all day long. And she liked to tease me that my face would turn black from crying. Uh, So mostly my dad took care of me. And both of my parents, I think, just had issues that they were dealing with. It's hard to know why they made the decisions that they Mm. made. Yeah, the first time CPS got involved, I was two weeks old. And uh, I had iron burns on my face and arms. And so I was in the intensive care for a little bit. You're talking about a clothes iron, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, clothing iron. From there, my parents left the state and moved to another state right as soon as they got me out of the hospital. Yeah, it just was a a lonely life. I really love my mom. And it it is hard to talk about my parents because I know that the things I say doesn't will not portray them very well. But it's a truth. It's a truth that I've had to live through. And sometimes you have to face the truth in, in order to heal and move forward, even if you don't understand why it happened. Did you blame yourself as you got older? Oh, I definitely did. Uh, It was something that my mom used to tell me, too, that it was my fault. You know, when her marriage fell apart, it was my fault that I had been born. Um, When she got really sick, it was my fault that caused her stress. And I tried really hard to be the girl that she wanted me to be as I think a lot of kids do as a coping mechanism, it helps to think it's your fault in a way because then you have some control over it or you think you do. You think you can make it stop happening. My mom, she just did not want me, I don't think. And I'm not exactly sure why I stayed with her and not my dad. She just was very distant. She wouldn't make eye contact with me ever. I, was, I wasn't allowed to be around her. I had to stay in my room, which which probably doesn't sound that terrible, but it was very, very isolated. My mom quit making eye contact with me, and uh, she wouldn't touch me. Uh, I had to stay separated from her in a different part of the house. Eventually, she quit using my name, and she told me that Cece was not my name, that it was Fifth Wheel. Uh, and that's just what she called me from then on, Fifth Wheel. Uh, you know, fifth wheel, go do the dishes, fifth wheel, you left wow. a sock on the... Uh, I had to use a separate door to come in and out of the house. It, it was a very, very isolated life. She'd tell me that I didn't love her all the time. She'd say that if if I really loved her, I wouldn't have uh, left the sock on the floor. Or I would have gotten an A on the paper. Or, you know, there was always conditions I never, ever met. And, you know, I loved my mom so much. I tried to show her that, but she wasn't able to receive it for some reason. Did you understand that when you were young? No, I I knew that it was because I was a bad person. 
that's how I understood it, that something was wrong with me. I was a bad person. I thought I was a monster. I must be a monster. I heard it, you know. Now, the first time that I interviewed you, you shared quite a bit of the abuse. And we're not going to go into all of that today because the listeners certainly can listen to that on your on your first interview but I would like to highlight a couple areas because it really spoke to me and I've never forgotten what you shared with me a couple years ago one was uh, the time when your mother uh, said that she was going to take you for a ride and you were quite excited for that contact can you Mm -hmm. share that with us yeah uh, my mom came out you know during the day I was I had to stay outside all day Um, so I had very, very, very little contact with my mom. You know, I ate at a different table. I didn't see her. I came in and out through a separate door. Um, so one day when I was playing outside, uh, my mom had told me, she came to the door and said that we were going to go pick blackberries. I just was shocked with excitement and she had just gotten a new boyfriend at the time. So we got into the car and we drove to go get to go pick blackberries. I remember she went into the house and got a colander and a pot and we got in the car and left. And I sat in the back seat like usual. And I remember that we drove really far to get the blackberries, um, which was unusual because we lived in a very uh, country area. I remember my mom even saying that she made a mention that it was 10 miles down this one very, very isolated road, which is quite far when you're in the country just to go pick blackberries. But she talked to me one time. She said, look at that. There's a beaver dam over there. My mom never talked to me. So I was thrilled that she even was pointing out something like that. And I was probably five or six at the time. And I was like, yes, mom, it's a beaver dam. (laughs) I'm so silly now, but I was just so happy. And so we pulled up to these blackberries and, uh, Back there, the blackberries were grew in a very big horseshoe-shaped hedge. It was a kind of a glade area, and the the hedge was way well, well over my parent, my mom's head. And we got out of the car. I climbed out of the car, and I remember my mom just kind of sat there for a minute, and then she slowly came out, and she said, "It's really hot out. You should take your shoes off." And I remember being thrilled because. Because I thought she cared that I was hot, and she had never said anything like that to me before. So I was like, oh, okay, and I took my shoes off, and I set them to one side, and I had my little bucket, and we started picking berries. And my mom was very controlling over what I could eat, and I knew that I could not eat any of these berries. Uh, She watched every little piece of food that I ate, so I would never eat without her permission. Actually, I did. I think I had one, and I felt really guilty about it. And so we were picking these berries, and my mom went back to the car for something. And then she came back, and we were still picking them. And then I remember, like, a whole bunch of birds flying overhead. And my mom looking up, and we were thinking that was weird. And then the horn on the car started honking. And it just was like one nonstop beep. Gave a couple quick beeps and then just beep. And we both turned to look at it. And I was, you know, little, so I didn't really understand. And I remember my mom being really freaked out. And she started to tell me that the car was going to blow up. And I was kind of confused, like, okay. And 
I kind of almost felt like a camaraderie with her, like, okay, something bad's happening. I'll help you, mom. And, and, uh, she was really panicked. She turned and she ran through these blackberry bushes and she kind of left me. So I was following after her. I was trying to be real careful to hold my bucket of berries because I didn't want to get in trouble for spilling any. I was following after her and I could hear her as she made her way through these berries. It was kind of a little bit of a path. And she started saying, no, it's not this way. It's not this way. No, this isn't the right way. No. And I didn't understand what she meant. And we went back further and further through these berries. And all of a sudden she turned around and came racing back through the path. And of course I was behind her. And she pushed me into the berries as she went past me. She just, her arm just smashed me into the berries. And I remember just being, you know, I was completely wrapped up in these, in these uh, branches and the thorns were all stuck into me. And I watched her race by and there was smoke now coming in the clearing. Uh, the car was actually on fire. And I remember watching her leave me and not understanding. And I started to cry and I told her I couldn't get out of the bushes and the thorns were stuck in my clothes and in my skin. And she just, she never even looked back. So I slowly pulled myself out of the bushes and tore my clothing to get free and tried to follow after her. And I came out into the clearing and the car was very much on fire at this point. And it was kind of blocking the way to the road. So the only way to, we were in, like I said, like a horseshoe of berries. And I couldn't find my mom. So I started calling for her and I was coughing and crying and, you know, I didn't see her anywhere. Somehow I made my way back to the back of this clearing and the smoke was less there. There was another pathway. So I started following this other pathway through the berry bushes and the smoke got less and less and I was still calling for her. The path ended with this big, huge boulder. I got to the boulder and right at the top was my mom. And I was like, mom, mom, you know, I found you. And I was so happy to see her and I thought she'd be pleased that I'd found her. And she didn't look back. She just like jumped over the side of the boulder. It was quite a tall boulder, at least to me at the time, well, well over my head. And I knew I had to follow her. And, and I was upset because I knew I had to put my berries down. I didn't want to get in trouble for that. And I didn't have my shoes. I'd lost my shoes or set them down. And I was afraid to get in trouble. But I climbed up this rock. And I don't even know how I did it because it was so steep. I just feel like God got me over this rock. I don't even know how I did it. Oh, a huge boulder. And when I got up to the top, it kind of sloped to the other side. So you could, I could scramble down that side. It wasn't steep like the first side. And from the top, I could see my mom. And she was just running. And she was way far away. She was really tiny. And so I stood up there and put my hands to my mouth. And I was calling for her. And she never looked back. So I slid down the side of the rock. And I started to follow her. And I actually don't even know how I made it through these woods. It's one of those things that doesn't really make sense because I couldn't see her. Every now and then I could see a little glimpse of her shirt way far ahead. And I was just running, running, running in my bare feet after her. I followed her for over an hour. Um, wow. This was something that she actually told me later. So I know that that was, you know, a true fact. And where I found her was stooped over in this river. Or actually it wasn't even a river. It was like a little creek. And she had her hands on her knees and she was huffing and puffing. And 
I remember running up to her and she just kind of gave me this look like, I remember she didn't look happy to see me. And then she stood up and brushed her hair out of her face and she looked at me and she said, I ran from you because I was scared. Remember that. And I was like, okay. Uh And so we walked through the woods some more and it was a long, 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 long walk. Um, Like I said, it was, we were 10 miles back into these trees and we finally came out to the road and, and from the road, you could see the smoke from the car fire. And so we would, we ran and walked, ran and walked, ran and walked the rest of the way off this road and eventually came up to a house. And at the driveway, my mom just collapsed at the top of the driveway. So I ran down and knocked on the door and this lady came out all confused. And I mean, I was covered, you know, in blood just from scrapes and my dad toenail that was kind of peeled back and from climbing over that stupid rock. And uh, she brought us in the house and kind of bandaged me all up. And what I remember about that the most was years and years later, my mom would always tell me that it was a good thing I'd followed her because she would have never gone back for me. That's that story. Did you ever um, figure out why she wouldn't go back for you? Like you were a little older then. Did you determine why that she just did not want you or maybe it was her new boyfriend? I know that her boyfriend didn't want kids. Uh, she told me that many times. She said after he met me, he said he didn't want any more kids. And that they, they didn't want, you know, she, she was very clear about that. So maybe, I, I, I don't know if I ever put it together like that, though. I just kind of, another one of those things I didn't understand what was really happening. Talking about this now, what emotions rise up in you? Oh, you know, it, it took a little bit of processing especially after I had kids, you know, because obviously, I, I mean, I would have never done that anyway, but once you have a child, that intense love you have for your baby, I mean, I would have given my own life for my child. So I know something wasn't right with her um, to react that way. I don't know what it what is going on. I don't know what is wrong. It makes me sad, though, because obviously something's really really wrong with her to (laughs) Uh for that kind of reaction, you know, and, and, uh, that's missing out on an amazing life to not feel love for your child. Why do you think that you are not vengeful and bitter and unforgiving toward her? Even now that, uh, you know, many years have passed and you endured, I mean, that's just a smidgen of what Cece went through. If you want to hear her whole story, it is on the first interview. And it is amazing, amazing in many ways, both negatively, of course, and positively, because she endured so much and came out with a loving heart, not only as she expressed towards her children, but just for people in general and for people who have been victims of abuse. So why do you think that you were able to forgive her? I'm not sure I ever felt super bitter. I, there was times, there's times, I'm going to be honest, you know, where I wondered who I would be if this hadn't happened to me. What great successes would I have reached if this hadn't happened? It was pretty early on that, that I felt, I felt God. It came what, do you mean, to, what do you mean you felt God? Well, it came to me. He came to me, I guess, when I was probably 13. And for me, it's not a religious thing. It's just, it was a peace and love. What happened was, um, I was 13, I think. 
And I had done something at school that was really, really, really horrible. At least at the time, I, I stood up to myself to a bully and kind of got into an altercation. And I knew that I was going to be in big trouble. And I remember having to get on the bus to go home from school. I had to talk to the principal and everything, and I knew they were going to call my parents. Um, the bully was actually a, a boy. I was so terrified to get on the bus because I knew that I was going to be in hurt. And at this point, by, by when I say being hurt, uh, my mom had, uh, she had used the belt in a way that was like, she would tell me, okay, you're going to get 25 whips with the belt and they're going to come at five times a day. And, and so she'd split it up and she was very, very uh, abusive with, <laughs> with even in the belt, even in that way. Um, I'd had marks on my face from the belts. I've had, I'd had uh, spoons broken over my face. It was very terrifying, the physical abuse. So I knew that going home, I was going to be really, really hurt. And I remember walking into my house. I had to use, like I said, a different door. And I, I, I slept in the basement. And I remember curling up on the little indoor-outdoor carpet and just crying and crying and crying and being terrified for the first time. Like, like I don't know if I was afraid to die, but I knew I, I, it was a pure terror. I had my hands over the back of my neck and I just was crying because I knew that I was about to really be hurt. And I remember kind of praying, but I didn't know, I didn't believe, I, I, I hadn't been formally taught about God. I just was desperate, just that desperate. And I just remember praying just over and over. I just was praying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I didn't really know who God was. I mean, actually, God was pretty scary because if he was anything like my father, you know, I didn't really want anything to do with him. Um, and, I, and he was invisible. So another part of me was like, you know, what's he really going to do here? You know, you can't see him. You know, that was my reasoning at 13, but I couldn't stop. I was just so terrified. I couldn't stop praying that and curled up in the ball and crying. And I could actually hear the phone ring when the principal called and I heard my parents go up, go across the stairwell and they, there was a big heavy door that they had kept, they always kept shut at the top of the basement stairs but I still could hear them up there and walking and I could kind of hear them talking and I just was shaking so hard and wanting to throw up. I was so afraid. And um, all of a sudden this warmth came over me. I mean, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. I mean, it was cold in my room and this warmth came over me like, and it felt heavy and this peace came with it. And, you know, I was curled up in this ball, but when that touched me, I just totally relaxed, like flat on my face, my arms and legs spread out, just laid there on my stomach, just felt this peace. And I remember breathing and just like taking this deep breath of air and this peace and this warmth. And it was the very first moment in my entire life of 13 years that I hadn't felt fear. Wow. The very first time. I didn't know that you, I didn't know it was something you could not feel. And at some level or another, you know, I always was fearful. And I just laid there and I breathed and <laughs> I just I just knew everything was going to be okay. And after a while, I heard the phone hang up and I heard the footsteps go across the, living, the ceiling again. And I just laid there and I waited for the door to open, but I didn't even care. 
And then after a while, I just kind of got up and thought, I'm just going to go to bed. <laughs> it's just hmm. so weird to, to even think about just feeling so peaceful that I just climbed in the bed and went to sleep. That impacted me so much that I wanted to know. Because of that, I think that I do feel like God just kept showing me that he loved me. And it wasn't his plan, what was happening. But um, eventually he did bring Judy from ashes from it. And even though I don't know who I would have been if I had been raised by a family that uh, made me feel strong and not afraid, you know, I've gotten to see a lot of beauty for the ashes of what I have gone through. And, and one of my favorite things is just being able to encourage other people who've, who've been hurt and uh, have been afraid or maybe haven't felt good enough. Now, as an advocate uh, for those who have been abused, what, in what capacity are you doing that? I get to go and talk to people. Uh, I do a lot of public speaking. Uh, it's kind of funny because I'm I'm always nervous when I do it, but <laughs> <laughs> I try not to let it show. Uh, it's it's so amazing to be able to do it, just to look out there and see all the women and and know that. I mean, there are just we've all as women and, and and men too have gone through so much, you know. But being a survivor isn't the same as being a victim, and you get to move forward and you get to share your own beauty from ashes that you've gone through and. And it's awesome to be able to be encouraging to other people and and see that them go on to encourage other people too. And do you see the fruit of that labor? I get to hear a lot from my readers of how they felt encouraged by my books. And I do get to talk to people after, you know, I I speak. Um, Every now and then I'll hear from people, our events that I've spoken at, people say that, that they have, felt a new way towards their kids. I mean, that's one of my favorites. Mm. Or or I'll have CPS uh, workers tell me that they've given my book to foster care parents. Uh, more than once, I've had people tell me that they became foster parents because of my story. Wow. And that's just, yeah, it's just amazing. That's it's amazing. Wonderful. It really is. So it's easy. Well, no, it's not easy. It's not easy at all, but... You can see the benefit of forgiving yes. when you see how much it goes on to help other people. And, you know, not forgiving, it didn't do me any good. It just was a, um, it may, it kept me in that pa- place of hurting all the time. That's instead a good of, point. Instead of being able to, to move forward. And it kept me in a place of not feeling uh, validated. Forgiving, you know, I can say, you know, this did happen. I don't need to look for validation that it happened. It did happen. And that's on them. I feel bad. I feel really, I mean, I really, really feel bad for them. Um, I know how it feels when I do something to hurt somebody. It's pretty crushing and I I hate it. And I want to go to that person and make it Uh right, work it out and I can't imagine hurting somebody so much and repeatedly how that must really feel mentally. Uh, even if they, you know, they, they feel justified in it. Uh, my mom once told me that the only thing she regretted in raising me was not hitting me more. So to be able to put that kind of justification into hurting somebody, it, it just it makes me feel really bad for them. You are an incredible young woman. The message that you have is one that we all need to hear, and I thank you for sharing that. Where was your father in this whole scenario? Uh, my real dad, my par- my mom left him when I was probably three, you know, and, and we were homeless for a little bit. I didn't know that we were homeless. I thought we were 
having some grand adventure. He had his own issues, his own mental issues. I don't think in the end I would have been better off with him. In fact, I probably would have been worse off. So <laughs> it's a weird thing, but it, it probably worked out for the best to be with my mom. That's, that is weird. <laughs> And your stepfather, was he supporting your mom and what she was doing to you? Okay, so this was a really cool thing for me in writing my book. Uh, this was an understanding that I got that I didn't, I didn't see growing up. Growing up, I saw it as further proof that I was a bad kid. Because my mom became nicer to me when she met my stepfather. I didn't realize it at the time, but... Most likely, she was probably being nice to me because you don't want to be mean to your kid when you're dating a guy, <laughs> you know, right. trying to make a good impression. I never even considered that. She slowly became more and more aggressive with me over time, and he accepted it. She would tell him to come watch while she would spank me, come watch while I hit her with a belt. And so he started to do that. And I always thought he was a nice guy, but, um, you know, looking back, obviously, I can see that. Obviously, something wasn't right because he he never questioned this, what was happening with me. Now, did you maintain a relationship with either one, either your mother or your stepfather? Uh, I really tried because I saw that in my, per, you know, my personal belief that only love can really change people. And so I really tried to love them and hope that that would let them see that that they were safe with me, that I could forgive them and we could go on and have a relationship and grow. And what really ended up happening was that I was uh, pulling like a blanket of forgiveness kind of over everything so I didn't have to think about it mm. in order to have this relationship, which isn't what, you know, I felt like God wanted. He wants truth. He is all about that. You know, he wants you to see, he wanted me to see what was really happening understand it and not just be like, oh, it's okay. It's not a big deal. My mom continued to be abusive in a different way. She still didn't make eye contact with me. She still kind of devalued me. I guess that's the biggest way she was abusive was by devaluing. Eventually, she ended up disowning me again. Um, it was kind of a mutual, like where I finally put a boundary down and said, basically, uh, enabled my grandfather to sexually abuse me for 10 years. And she facilitated that. Later, as when he grew old, um, she had him move into the house, and I didn't want to go visit over there when he was there, obviously. And she didn't tell me when he died. When I found out, a year later, I was upset, and she used that as an attack to tell me that you know, horrible things about myself. And it kind of was eye-opening to me when that happened. And I realized I couldn't, I couldn't do this anymore. And so I told her that, uh, that until she could have a change of heart, we couldn't really talk anymore. And she was happy with that. And so she, we've had no contact since then. And it wasn't that I needed a big, huge apology or, or for her to go over her, her things that she had done to me. But I needed that change of heart because she was just going to continue to devalue me in a way that was not healthy for me. 
or my children. So what can you share along the lines of forgiving and forgetting? And the reason I ask you that question, Cece, is I've had many guests on the show who have talked about abuse, you know, whether it's marital or, um, you know, they were victims in some way or uh, child abuse or whatever. And when they tell their stories, you can usually tell if there's an attitude of forgiveness, which is very evident I'm talking to you, but many of them have addressed the issue, and this is what I want to know how you feel about it, is can you forgive and not forget? And how do you differentiate? How do you work through that emotionally? Okay, I think that uh, forgiving and forgetting are, are two different things. You know, forgiveness definitely gives you the freedom to, to move forward. As far as forgetting goes, I think it's a it's a layer thing, um, like onions or something. Uh, because as the memory comes back, there's usually another time I have to forgive again. It goes in deeper, or it's a different point of view, or, or I've gotten triggered a different way. Uh, but the memory of it does change. And the way that it changes is it turns into maybe instead of a place of shame, where it just brings a flush of shame or uh, devaluing or feeling like uh, unworthy, it, it starts to become, you know, this isn't my name. This isn't, this is what happened to me. This is not who I am. Uh, what was said and done to me is not who I am. It's, it's, it, it's what happened to me. And so it does kind of change a little bit in the way that you can go and relate to other people when you see them in that same spot. And you can be like, you know, I can see what's going on here. And that and that's not who you are. That's what was done to you. That was their mm-hmm. choice. Mm-hmm. It's not your fault. And there's nothing you could have done to have changed what it, their choice was. And I think in a way, forgiveness kind of helps with that because then you can forgive a little bit more. And then, you know, the memory can be a little bit jiggled again and then you forgive a little bit more or forgive in a different way and it just kind of goes in hand in hand like that don't you believe that when people try to forget what has happened to them that it basically is a way of pushing it down and not dealing with it well it's sort of like that big blanket of forgiveness that i brought up the first time um i think it's pretty common when you're in your early 20s 30s even you are ready to move on, or maybe even whenever the abuse ends, you're ready to distance yourself from it and you're ready to move on and start your life and live what you want to live and, and not think about it. And so there's probably lots of different coping mechanisms for that. And mm-hmm. for me, it was the blanket of forgiveness. Just like, okay, I forgive you. It's over. It's done. Good, and, good. and sometimes, you know, that's okay for a season because we do have to live our life. But eventually you do have to come back and and face those things again if only to remember that it wasn't your fault it was them and and who owns the responsibility of that of those actions that happened now let's lighten the atmosphere and talk about something really exciting and that is you have three book series let's start with the first and go on and tell us uh, the names of the books and and what they're about and whatever you would like to share Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I have my memoir series, which is starts. It's the Ghost No More series, and it's my story, and then my husband's story, and then um, probably 
my last book is just a novella of my my being 16 and 17 when I was homeless. And those are were awesome, and I'm so thankful to have written them. And then I moved on to an inspirational romance, which was just a few extra little pieces of my story that need to be written out. It's called Wrecked in Yours. And mostly, you know, it's just fiction, but there's a little bit more that I had to get out. And so that's why I wrote that series. And then I moved on to a cozy mystery series, Angel Lake Mysteries. And I wrote that. That has nothing to do with me at all. <laughs> it's all imagination, <laughs> pure fun. And I really enjoy writing those too. Do you need to read them in sequence or are they totally separate stories? It is a series, but I've tried to make each one be a standalone. Starts with a sweet taste of murder. They're all very fun. I, I really like writing them. Okay, how can the sweet taste of murder be fun? <laughs> That's what makes it a cozy mystery, see? Oh, okay. And are you going to continue doing more in that series or what are you? Yeah, I have another one that I'm writing. Um, they're all in the top 100 list, actually the top 20 list of the of cozy mysteries at Amazon. So they're they found an audience, and I'm really happy about that. And, oh, wonderful. Yeah. So let's let's start again. The first series by C.C. James is Ghost No More. Are they all titled the same? or? Uh, the next one is uh, Lost No More and then Fear No More. The next series? It's called Wreck Rec- and Yours. <laughs> okay. And then the next one's Out of the Wreckage. And then the last one's A Beautiful Wreck. And then the cozy mystery series (laughs) so the first one is the sweet taste of murder and then it's the bitter taste of betrayal the sour taste of suspicion and the honey taste of deception (laughs) and that last one has a excuse me that one that last one has the tagline is the only thing worse than a pregnant bridezilla is a corpse as the wedding cake topper (laughs) Which is your favorite of all your books? I don't really have a favorite. I mean, probably Ghost No More is my favorite because that's my story. and uh, Yeah. <laughs> okay, makes sense. But you're having lots of fun with your, with your other series. Yeah, definitely. And what's in your future? Continuation of, of the um, mystery series or something else? Yeah, I well, pro- well, actually, I don't know. I probably will continue writing mysteries. I love doing it. Uh, I hope to continue uh, having more opportunities as a public speaker and continue to encourage people however I can and give back, you know, however I can. <laughs> well, I think that there's no no question there that that's exactly what you're doing, and you do that as well in your in your books. Like you said, the the middle series was like an encouragement type of books, right? They're uh, inspirational romance. Inspirational romance, but I okay. do try to yeah try to be encouraging and real and. We all have real problems. We all have a real story. And all of our stories matter. And, and you can also get lost in a mystery series, can't you? That, that's that's the fun part. Oh, that's Where totally you, like yes. Pringles to me. Our okay. Ruffles potato <laughs> chips. I love it. That's wonderful. And you have four children. Mm-hmm. Any, gra- any grandchildren? 
two grandchildren. Thank you again, Cece, for sharing from your heart, from sharing some of the raw negative things that happened to you that I know are not easy to talk about, but people need to hear them and appreciate hearing them because you never know what heart you're going to touch by sharing your own story, as you well know. And so that is very much appreciated, and I thank you. And look forward to uh, reading your new series, your mystery series. All her books will be listed on her page notes from this interview. And so I thank you for sharing today with us, and Happy New Year. Thank you so much for letting (laughs) me be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.